City have another chance. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. This is Gavin, back again after an extended period of time where I haven't had a chance to really watch many of the games. I promise we don't only record after we win, but of course, this is coming right after the 2-1 victory against Philadelphia. And boy, was that a nerve-wracking game. With me to discuss that and a whole bunch of other topics regarding Orlando City is Daniel. Daniel, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks very much, Gavin. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yesterday, uh, I chewed all of my nails off in the final 15, 20 minutes after Philadelphia scored. Um, were you pretty nervous to come the end of the game, or were you pretty calm and collected and figured that we would see it out? Yeah, I'm always calm and collected. I, uh, I, I was actually busy thinking up new names for the for the podcast, like, uh, you know, what was I going to call it? Um, Lions blog and the new brackets. We only record after we win. <laughs> that should be the new the new catchphrase and the other catchphrase oh yeah it could be lion's bug brackets i can't be bothered what you think if we lose yeah seriously like we went on a little spell of rough games and i only saw one of them but they were all so close to, i mean i guess they weren't all so close together there was a 10-day gap between the chicago and toronto game but mm-hmm. just been very very busy overall so that's kind of where I wanted to start the the conversation between you and me is those three games that we missed. Obviously, we talked after the Inter-Miami 2-1 win, but then we go home and lose to the Red Bulls again 2-1. We then fly over to Chicago, lose 3-1, and then we go to Toronto after a 10-day gap and tie 1-1. Not too worried about the Toronto game. I think that's a fair result. Um come the situation of the two teams you know flying to Toronto is not very easy and then also they just sacked their coach so they're gonna have a new coach bounce but Chicago's a little bit worrying and New York Red Bulls a little bit worrying as well I saw bits and pieces of both games what were your thoughts on the the two losses in a row there um the two well both teams did you know exactly what they need to do which is you know, against a team that uh, that possesses the ball like Orlando, I noticed this with you know, kind of with Philadelphia yesterday. Is that they just tried to get so many players behind the ball, and those two teams did the opposite of that. Really, they just pressed and got stuck in. And Chicago, in particular, liked to stretch the play. Um, they were looked a lot for the for the long diagonal pass, getting into the space. And of course, when you have you know you've got the injuries that Orlando had in defence, which you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the depth in a little bit. That's where they caught them. And then Red Bull, even though they've had the changes of the coaches and everything else, that famous high press and pressure, it was absolutely relentless. And, you know, it's a lot, you learn a lot more about a team, you know, like when, when you have the ball and things are going your way and you're dominating games. But when you're on the back foot, that's when you learn more about your group of players. And, I felt like the New York game was the one where, which we can take the most from, for sure. You know, as far as um, maybe what the group needs, maybe what, you know, where they could have done a little bit more. Um, you know, they lack, in my mind, um, a little bit of technical quality in the midfield. And certainly the cover at the fullback positions, uh, you know, the team just looks so unbalanced, but... You can't use injuries as an excuse. I mean, you have a squad for a reason and every club goes through spats where they have players out. Seattle had 10 players out yesterday, put five teenagers in and still managed to get a win. So, 
I know that people will point to the injuries, but I think, you know, those are a couple of games that Oscar probably will learn more from than the than the win we had yesterday. Yeah, it was um a couple of interesting performances from a couple of interesting performances from the bits and pieces that I saw uh, against New York. I agree with you. We really struggled with the high press from them. Um, what do you make of that? How do we how do we improve that? Is it just different players? Is it going mm-hmm. back to what we saw in MLS's back tournament? What are your thoughts there? It's it's well, it's a depth problem for first. I mean, you know, I'm looking at the lineup again for that game. You have Smith and and Halliday, and you know, the both of them are good are good players individually. I feel like Halliday's got you know a decent future ahead of him. And Carl Smith is, you know, he's a borderline candidate for player of the season, probably, in his own way. But the team is just so unbalanced, you know, when you don't have the natural left back and you've got an inexperienced right back in cover. And that's, you know, that goes back to the conversations we had a few months back where we didn't recruit enough depth. Um, in the midfield, you've got, you know, a good technician in Pereira, but you have... You know, I think Andres and and Urso, they, you know, they were just exposed in that game. They, the whole midfield was. I mean, when you're under pressure, you know, you, you've got to have just that little bit of extra speed in your mind, and the ability to to play in a tight space. And we were found if it was, even if it was just on the night, they were found to be really lacking. And you look at New York's shape with the the four four two. I mean, they they had a good sort of territorial um, presence everywhere on the field with the pace at fullback, uh, the craft in the midfield, and then you've got you know two very good strikers up there. Uh, Clamala looks looks to be a real good find, and Gomez as well who got the goal. I mean, he he's also you know a very nippy player, and they just dragged the centre backs out and around and. You know, committed the fullbacks into into situations that they're not comfortable on, and um, you know that's that's something that they've got to learn to play against. Whether if they play against the two striker system again, do they need to change the shape, or do we, in my opinion, probably need to go ahead and, and get some more quality in midfield, which is what I would prefer to do. You know, yeah. I look at yeah, I look at the um, the players they had. I mean. Uh, number twenty three, I think it was he he got the first goal. That was a that was an absolutely beautiful goal. Mm-hmm. You know, from out wide and he was good. But I looked at Drew Yearwood who, you know, for all the smack that was said about the English championship this year, as we all know. Yeah, you know, this is a player that was cropped up from an under twenty three squad in Britain. And he was the best player on the field. He absolutely dominated the midfield. And He's a very good technical player. He was playing a, he was playing like a three roll. He was playing like a six. He played an eight, and he played a ten all in the same game. And that, to me, is the type of player that Orlando lacks in the squad. You've got a true ten in Pereira, and you've got a bunch of sixes. I don't think I think we only have really one true eight, which is Urso. But does Urso have the speed of thought and the technical ability? You know, when they're playing against the press. Uh, not for me. I think he got booked like in the first or second minute or something daft like that. And when that happens, it's like you're already to readjust mentally, just to um, you know, just to contend with the fact that you know you've got a player on a card already. And these are things that will small discipline things and and other 
instances that can be avoided if you have players with the good, calm head, the technical ability to handle it. Sorry if I muffled on a bit there, but that's kind of the point <laughs> I was getting in. No, yeah, you're good. Um, it's just our our midfield is a weird makeup of talent. Not like when you just kind of think about it. We have Urso, yeah. who is, uh, I think, a true eight. We have Pereira, who's an eight slash ten, uh, does better in the ten than the eight, in my opinion. Yeah. Then you have Perea and Yuri and Mendez, who are all sixes in... Ooh, wow. You're a little too close to the mic there, my friend. Um, they're all sixes, but they're all sixes in very different ways. We have Perea, who um, is very comfortable with the ball at his feet, uh, you know, but is very quick to move it on as well. He doesn't dilly-dally on the ball. And you have Mendez, who just passes it on immediately <laughs> he doesn't really travel with the ball that much and then you have yuri who is again very comfortable with the ball at his feet but maybe not the fastest doesn't really rush into tackles just kind of is more of a ball dominant number six rather than a defensive mm-hmm. type of number six so we have three different types of players there then we really only have one attacking number 10 who ha- who's going to help us in our creativity and when he's not on it you know, we really start to struggle, and that's something that, you know, we've always talked about. So our midfield makeup is very weird. For me, if we were to subtract one and add another, uh, I think the obvious choice uh, would be maybe take out Yuri out of the equation and then maybe add another creative eight um, to kind of help Urso, you know, not have to play all these minutes. Because Urso, when he's on his day, on on his day, Urso's very good. When he is fit, when he is bursting forward, he is a threat. Um, He does kind of frustrate me in the final third. He kind of gets in really good positions, but doesn't necessarily make the most of them. Uh, So that's kind of frustrating for me for Urso. But just being in those positions, you know, helps us score more goals just because... You know, if he's up there, then another player is paying attention to him, and then we can sneak another player in the back post. You, you know, just soccer tactics in general, getting more players equals more goals in the box. But just our midfield makeup is kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just something that we're going to have to look at come this off season. Um Moving yeah, on. Oh, go ahead. There's, no, there's just too many players that are. I mean, we don't have a true two-way midfielder there. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's that's kind of what the squad lacks. I mean, I think, players are good, but I don't I think, think there's any. They're trying to mold Mendez into a more two-way player. You know, because he can know. go both ways. It's just he's not impressive in the attacking sense. Well, that's what I was about impressive. to say. You know, once he gets in the final third, he shits himself. Yeah. You know, so it's like. You know, so what do you do? Like, um, I don't know if you can create, you know, you, you can't, I don't know if you can get a midfielder there that can get you 10 goal contributions in a season, you know what I mean? Like, in that sort of skill set. But he's, he's very good as a, a destroyer, I think, as someone to recycle the possession. But I think they do need a, a good two-way midfield player. And, you know, they'll probably will lose a couple of players, you, you would think, by, by the winter anyway. So that'll be the time they'll get one. Seeing what we've seen throughout the season, who would you say is our best double pivot right now? You mean the two to play together? Like the pairing. Yeah, what's the best pairing? Well, I've been quite impressed with um, 
Correa. He is showing an ability to to get forward and and impose himself on the game. And I think Mendes. So those, if I was to pick, I would probably pick those two. Right now, I'm I'm not a big. I'm not really too, never been too big on Junior or so, but that's not really anything against him. It's just, I guess, just like what I look for more of it. If I was a coach, what I would pick in a midfielder. Um, he's is a little bit too erratic for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like you say, in those games you have teams putting you under pressure, I think he's one that's susceptible to lose his, lose his composure a bit. So I like the midfielders to just be a little bit more composed and comfortable on the ball. And I, I think Mendes and, and Pereira are the two that I, I like the most. Yeah, I tend to agree because it's just whether I think a lot of people would say Mendes and Urso, and I have no problem with you saying that. But for mm-hmm. me, I, I do like having Pereira in there. He just very comfortable on the ball and then Mendez uh, I think he's probably our out and out starter at this moment in time and then if when he is fit obviously and then of course Maurizio Pereira up top there's nobody to there's no way we can um, negate that that mm-hmm. as the starting number 10 option but moving away from the game um, from the games itself uh, I guess Brandon Austin's come in for a little bit of stick uh, for his performances in the game, I didn't really see anything that really said that, like, this isn't what we were expecting, you know? Like, he's our backup goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. He's a youngster. He's not a, a veteran. Um, did you have any issues with him, or was it just kind of like, let's not blame the goalkeeper for our team's performance, you know? I think it's a very naive kind of tactic to just blame the goalkeeper when you start losing games. You know, it's at the end of the day, he's the second-choice goalkeeper. He, he cannot change the fact that he hasn't got the same chemistry with the defence. You know, this is why you know this is why you need a reserve team. This is why you need regular games for your squad players, which these guys don't get. You know, we carry thirty players, and you know, you've got what, maybe eight or ten that I don't see any any game time until they're needed so I feel, I feel like it's a bit unfair on the player to be honest I, I don't like singling any player out I don't think he's been terrible he's he's not Galassi but then if he was then he won't be the backup goalkeeper to in Orlando do you know what I'm saying yeah so. and like we literally won a game down in yeah. Miami with him in goal and he made a pretty decent stop yeah. early on in the game so yeah. uh, he's not the hero per se, but you know, he's a part of winning a game. And then all of a sudden we go on a losing streak and, you know, you start to hear chatter, you start to see posts about how can't wait for Glaze to come back. Well, it's like, yeah, obviously we can't wait for Glaze to come back because he makes important stops like the one he made against Philadelphia, but, or the couple he made against Philadelphia, but also does Glaze really move the needle for us to beat New York Red Bulls or to beat Chicago? I don't think so. Gillespie is not going to do anything in his 18-yard box that's going to help the midfielders learn how to keep the ball, or <laughs> exactly. teach strikers how to press better, or you know, if you get a chance in the box to stick it. And then he's not going to change any of that. You know, he's not going to contribute to the fact that you know you've got a right back at left back and a 17-year-old on the other side of the field that you know have been put in. I can't think of a worse team to to put a young player in against the New York Red Bulls. In the league, you know, it's maybe Seattle probably will be another one, but then they've probably the way they're going right now, they've got their own teenagers playing. So, you know, it's 
you know, you, you can only control so much. I think blaming the goalkeeper is just an easy cop out. It's easier to blame Brandon Austin than it is to, you know, to blame Junior Rosso, who got himself booked after a minute. Mm-hmm. Couldn't keep his composure, or to, you know, to or to blame, you know, one of your strikers or whatever. It's it's like I don't see why they have to blame anyone, but of course you're going to get it regardless of what we think. I don't I don't think the criticism's fair to be honest. It's that's not even the concern I have. All right, and then another player who, you know, I want to single out and discuss, but you know, not in terms of at fault for the the performances, mm-hmm. but. Again, from the bits and pieces I've seen, Robin Janssen has not been insanely good, in my opinion. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I think he's been kind of average Robin Janssen, but I don't know. For me, he just, for me, he's he's our third choice center back, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he hasn't been amazing. He hasn't been been amazing, and I know this is gonna it's gonna look really bad saying that after he you know took a broken nose yesterday and helped. Well, he took a broken nose and then. But it was off his own player, so it wasn't like. No, I know, but he. he <laughs> what I was gonna say is he took a broken nose, but then he wildly swings his foot at a ball that almost costs us the game instead of heading it because of that broken nose. You know what and I mean? I'm just playing. I'm just playing into the logic that, you know. Um, that will will be fought when we mention it. Mm. So, yes, I see. Yeah, but in the day, Janssen was was injured by his own player. That's that is a fact. He was injured by Schlegel. So um, he hasn't been brilliant. He, he's one of those players that when you put them in a partnership, he looks really good next to the partner he's with. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a good complement for for Antonio. And Antonio has not been present obviously a lot of these you know last few games. So therefore, Janssen's dropped off as well. Um, I, I, made, I was advocating back in the before the season started that we needed another top quality centre back. And you know, for all the the love that you know Schlegel gets, and and to a degree Janssen, I don't think there's a bona fide starter there out of the two of them. Not for me. Not for the way I'd, I'd like my centre backs. You know, I think they needed another one, another good top quality one. And I think that should, you know, once um, once Carlos is down, then we just that you look so uh, brittle at the back, uh, disorganised, lacking in confidence, and that's not just an ability thing. That's that's like a, a personality thing as well. And I don't think Janssen's got that dominant personality back there, and especially if he's playing with someone like Schlegel, who's also the same way. Then that's kind of a recipe for you know for some weakness there. Yeah, not only does a top-quality center back improve our back line, but it also improves our depth. You can mm-hmm. send a center back out to left back. You know, we could start Janssen at left back. We could start Schlegel mm-hmm. at left back. It's not the end of the world. You could do a three-back system with two wing backs, and instead of having to start Halliday in some of these games, instead of having to play Kyle Smith every single minute of every single game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Yeah. I, where do you fall on how this halfway through the season, how this past transfer window is looking now? Obviously, we have to to look back on transfer windows to see if they're a success. We're halfway through the season. We have some news that Chris Mueller is leaving, which we'll discuss right after this topic. But how, looking back, 
this transfer window to me is not looking very successful. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like the players that Oscar's having the most success with are the ones that he had last year. Mm-hmm. And even Vanderwart is like in and out of the team. You know, doesn't seem to be fully in, in you know, settled. I mean, Ayers is gone. He's left. He's gone on loan to whatever it is. Uh, to Spain, I think. Along with then, option, so he's gone. Well, he's pretty much gone, and Alvarado seems to just be there just to make up the numbers, really. You know, which, um, it's like, you know, does Oscar have a say in any of these players that are getting brought in? And if he hasn't, then maybe they need to start asking him what he needs, because in my opinion, he doesn't use his bench very well, and he hasn't got, obviously hasn't got what he wants on the bench to use, so. I don't think it was a great window for recruitment, to be honest. And in light of Mueller leaving and DK is still likely to go at some point, and then Nani probably will retire, you've got a lot of problems coming at the end of the year where you've, you've got to get that recruitment right. And I don't think you can say Pato's been a success. Yeah, yeah that's fair. We haven't really seen Pato due to injury. Um... I haven't seen him, but you know what a lot of people were saying before he signed? That he's injury prone, that you're not going to yeah. see much of him. And why is it? It's now July. Season's what ten? Is it ten or eleven weeks old? Yeah. And you and you got one appearance out of him. So I mean, <laughs> for all the grief those people got, which they got a lot of it, trust me, they were right. <laughs> they were totally a hundred percent right. And and Pato is taking up. I I don't think the salaries have been released for this year yet, but I know not it's a, not. Tam or DP, I think he's just regular. Yeah, but it's not. He's not on eighty nine thousand a year, is he? No, no. I think he's in the two or three hundreds. Yeah, and I think I'd read somewhere that you know, based on incentives, it could be as high as six hundred next year or something like that. So it's it's one of those things that you know you're gonna sit there and as a supporter and and go at the front office for keeping this player and that, but. You know, they they brought someone in with a, a proven injury record. Has not been able to contribute, and it's just it's very frustrating. I think, as far as I'm concerned, that you know the front office seem to pick the signings, but they don't seem to give the coach much impact on it. And you know, that's got to be a change in the in the winter window for sure, because I don't think the squad's as deep as it looks. You know, I, I think. You can have nine players on the bench and you can say, oh yeah, our second and 11 could still compete. I think our second 11 would get absolutely trounced. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> our second 11 would be destroyed by most teams in MLS, I think. Yeah. Um, especially a, when it comes well, to the back line. Well, that's it. There's a reason why, you know, players like Desert and uh, Larea and, and that don't get minutes or any minutes. You know, and the coach sees them more than we do. He's a coach who's done a good job, so I'm going to trust his judgment on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, um, obviously the Jonathan Suarez situation wasn't foreseen, and that definitely would have helped when it comes to João Moutinho coming back and Smith having to play so many minutes or even Halle yeah, having to play so many minutes. When was that but... situation, though? That was the end of January, and the season started in April. So, I mean, how... I mean, you're yeah. telling me that you can't go out and, and sign another left back? No, it does take a while to sign a player. You have to identify the one you like, but it it's not impossible to do a loan or to sign up MLS free agent or I'm to look sure for a that... trade in the league. And they have a lot of options 
like backup yeah, I mean, options. They must have lists for every position, like God knows how many players on each list. I'm sure that there's somebody out there they could get. And yeah, and they're, they're bringing in more wingers and attackers. And you've got two international spot slots there, Alvarado and Ayas, that, you know, were wasted essentially going into the season. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's just very strange. Like, I feel like the front office has, has done a, you know, overall done a decent job. Like, the revamped front office has. But I think they're getting in their own way just a little bit on the recruitment. And they should. Yeah. You know, just maybe just, you know, maybe give Oscar just a little more input. Yeah. So I feel like, obviously, moving on to the Mueller topic now, I feel like I need a, a refresher in my memory because Mueller, obviously, leaving for free is not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of struck up the debate between. Well, it makes sense to keep him for the season to have a, a go at a trophy, which, mm-hmm. yep, sporting-wise makes perfect sense. Um, but it doesn't make business sense. You know, it doesn't, doesn't make sense, sense to, to agree the... It, it should make sense to agree the money and then to to take Vanderwater in, um, have him acclimate. We have Benji there. Uh, you, in our minds, we had Pato there. Um we could have used Alvarado as well. Like we, Nani's still here. We have plenty of options, but um, you know, maybe we just lose some of Mueller's production. You know, he has been, you know, making assists, scoring goals this season, not at the same rate. But also, did we get an offer for him? Is my question. Did we get an offer for Mueller? Because it could be a thing of there was interest, but there was never an offer because of the contract situation and teams knew that in six months' time they'd be or in a year's time they'd be able to have him for no money. Um, and mm-hmm. with the COVID market, obviously teams have very little money to spend. Maybe they were many teams were patient and Hibs were the team to jump on the opportunity. So if there if there wasn't an offer, then there's not much we can do there. But if there was an offer and we rejected it, how do you feel about that situation? Well, yeah, I mean, it's hypothetical. Um, from what I can see, I would put some money down now that there was an offer last December. And it was probably rejected. And, you know, and that's, you know... I, the one comment I do want to make on this before we kind of go into the offer pin is that I've seen a few people say that, you know, they're keeping Mueller going all in to win, you know, to win the MLS Cup this season and comparing it to um, to Dortmund and like Lewandowski. Well, the two comparisons I got to make is that, you know, Dortmund had a squad that would that could win, that, you know, looked, looked strong and could compete and probably take home the title, the trophies. Do Orlando really have all those tools at their disposal yet? Because my answer to that is I don't think they do. And you, okay, so uh, let me stop you there for a second. Let me just start. Yeah. You do you you don't think that with a fully healthy squad going into the playoffs, we don't at least have a chance to get to the final. There's a chance, but you're on about winning it. That's the argument people have is to win it. Okay, d- chance to win it. You don't think there's, that no, we can... there's, there's no point talking about winning it if you're happy just to get to the final. I mean, okay, no, yeah, so let's talk about winning it. That's fair. So, like, you know, 
the speed for you know, we don't have a, we have maybe one to eleven on our best day with every position at full strength. There's a good chance there, right? But it's not about one to eleven; it's one to twenty-two. You need you need more players than just the eleven. And Orlando doesn't have that yet. And then you know we know they got some decent offers for DK. You know they got offers for Mueller. You can strengthen three or four positions, probably five positions with that money. But you're cutting off your nose to spite your face by not taking the offers. And, you know, and we might, I don't think they're going to win the whole thing. I don't think the, the quality is just there in depth to do it. You know, it'll, it might come in time, but it's a process. It's not something that you can just do instantly. And I think with Mueller, I think there probably was an offer because. You know, I don't mean any lack of respect to Hibs at all. You know, they're you know they're a club that are 130 years old. They've been around a long time. They've got a legitimate history. They're in a historical part of the world. You know, a nice part of the world, I have to add. And you know, but they're not they're not the team that you know you you see. Oh, he's going off to Belgium and Anderlecht are looking at him, and then. You know, and then you find he's got Scotland and you think, oh, maybe Rangers and Celtic are getting him. And you find out that it's Hibs and he's like, he was taking this contract and he's obviously looking at it as a as a means of, he can get there, he can go play, he can play in a new system, a new environment, put himself in front of some new eyes. And maybe he gets a bounce move to somewhere else after that. And that's good for him. I'm, I'm very happy for him to do it. I think that he's a good guy and he deserves to have that opportunity. But for him to take the contract, and he kind of did it on the hush, really, because the, the news just came out of nowhere that he'd signed it. You know, indicates to me just from where I'm stood that he must have, he must have felt the club was not going to accept the offers for him and let him go, and he had to take it into his own hands, and he just took the the first bona fide offer that he received. So, you know, okay, so I think. He's a little bit smarter than to take the first offer. I think he looked at his options, and yeah, I, I think say, playing time had a big thing to deal do with it. Well, that's what I mean when I say like bona fide. I don't mean like the first physical offer he got. Oh, you just mean like a the first, bona fide like, means yeah, bona fide means like sort of a serious offer where you've got you know tangible benefit to it. Like I'm pretty sure, for example, that he's going to go there. And he's probably going to at least double or triple his salary for a start. Mm-hmm. And you know, then you've got the other factor of just living in Europe and having that different experience there. And then, of course, you do have a platform there in Scotland where a lot of clubs do recruit from that league. I've seen a lot of stuff said about the Scottish Premier League, just like we saw about the Championship. And it comes from people who have no idea what, who have never watched a game in that league and don't really know. But that league is a good platform for players to, to go and compete in other in other countries or, or go further south of the border. Yeah. So it is a platform for him, you know? Oh, yeah, he could, you know, he's going to have more eyes on him when it comes to the Premier League and the Championship in mm-hmm. Scotland than he is in Belgium. That's right. And also the Scottish Premier League games, are, you know, they're broadcast, they're all on TV. It's easier to access. There's more people watching. It's not a bad move for him. It's not a terrible no. move. And... I can see why he's done it, but I do feel like part of his decision was that to go ahead and just sort of, the way it was reported was that he's gone and signed the contract or the pre-contract 
and then he announced it to he told the club after he'd done it. And my feeling is, you know, just from my 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 perspective is that if you're on good sort of terms with a club and you know, and you feel like they're invested in you, you'd be telling them you're negotiating with someone rather than just telling you've already done it. It just tells me that there was probably an offer. It was probably kept back and he was kept back and he just took it into his own hands. Yeah, okay. And that's fair. And You don't agree with that. You don't agree with us say no, nope, because Unless you don't feel we have the quality to win. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Not to win the whole thing. No, I mean, I think if you're going to keep a player back and you're going to deny him an opportunity in a year of their career, after he's just had his, what you could argue was his breakout year last year, mm-hmm. and you're going to deny him an opportunity to go better himself, then you need to have the tools there to do to, to do what you promise you're going to do. And I think that the, Orlando do believe they can do it. I just think, I think they can probably get into sort of like maybe into the last four or something like that. But, you know, a lot of games this season, they've not, not been convincing. And I still think there's work needed. I just think to keep a player back on that, on that, on those grounds, the win now crowd, I don't think it's a very good reason to keep a player back. So I don't want to stray too far from the transfer window discussion, because I do have another question on that, but you bringing up the fact that you think we're good enough to reach the last four, that's perfectly fine. You you mean last four of the entire thing, not the last four of the East, I yeah, assume. Yeah, I mean, like, even so, if they reach the, the Eastern final or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. then my next question is, looking at the East, mm-hmm. the top teams that would challenge us, New England, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Columbus, NYCFC, Red Bulls, like... I think those are all beatable teams. You know what I mean? Nashville, mm-hmm. Montreal are in the in the mix. Um, those, I think, are the serious con- contenders for playoffs. Maybe DC United can sneak in. I don't think Atlanta... Atlanta might be able to turn it around. So mm-hmm. you're looking at that. I think we can make it to the final and then anything can happen in the final. It can, but how many times can you say in a big game that Orlando's done it? Like, what can you say? Like, what can you point to in the past as an example of when they've done it? No, that's fair. That's very fair. Because there isn't, and that's why I even said with Mueller. I think I told this to someone on Twitter. I said, you know, until Mueller proves himself that he's got something in the big games, he's not going to get that big move. Not the bigger move that he thought everyone thought he was going to get. Because for all intents and purposes. When there's been a big occasion, there hasn't been many. It's not like Orlando's made the playoffs every year, you know. But there's not U.S. Open Cup semi-final against Atlanta. Yeah. MLS's Cup, MLS is back final um, playoffs last season. He's had his opportunities. They've all had their opportunities, you know, and they're all still learning. You know, they're all still trying to find their way and, and and win those games. You know, and until he proves that. Just like with any other player, you're always going to have those doubts in your head. You know, and that, I think you're right. I mean, all those teams are beatable. Philadelphia looked, looked very ordinary, I thought, in the game. Yeah. And um, even then, Orlando still managed to make it more difficult for themselves. Now, to be fair, I think there's not a ton we could have done about the goal. 
I thought the goal was a great goal. You know, he's my, you know, Casper's my favorite striker. Yeah, he's brilliant. But yeah. I, there's what more could we have done defensively? You know, that is not. You know, there are goals where it's like, oh my gosh, how could we have let that in? What was that defending? And then there are goals where it's like, what what more could we have done? Well, it's you again, know, it, that it that down. shot does not go in nine times out of ten. It was a great goal, but you know, but Philadelphia in the second half just got control of the midfield, and they play with the diamond. They make the diamond very, very efficient, actually. But you can see the technical quality they have in that midfield, and again, I thought it's an area where Orlando—I mean, for all intents and purposes—they hung on right at the end and got the win. But you know, they could have made it a little bit more easier on themselves. Yeah. But I think if Janssen doesn't break his mm-hmm. nose, he heads that ball away, and that chance never happens. No, of course. I mean, well. it's, yeah, there's it's just true. so much nuance in there. There's so much that you, you know to to factor in and out. But they were they were in full control at one point, and then just that old idea of just kind of just switching off a little bit, or maybe getting tired. Maybe the maybe the humidity, the schedule's taking its toll, and the momentum and all that. Yeah, I mean, the schedule is is a is cost a factor as well. And then that comes, that ties in with the lack of rotation he can do because he doesn't have all the players he needs. So that's, that's again, just another argument as to why I don't think they've got quite enough there to do it yet, you know? Yeah. So and then yeah. that brings me to my next question then, or next topic of discussion for us. What should we do more in this summer transfer window to give us that final push to, in your eyes, become a title contending team because we already got the backup left back in he's training mm-hmm. with the team so that's going to help Huan should be back from injury soon Pato's coming back from injury soon what more in this window can we do to kind of put us up a level I mean if I was general manager and I had the choice I mean obviously you got to think about the salary cap but if you're not going to use players like Alvarado and such, you need to try and move them on. I'll get them a loan move. Mm-hmm. Take that money. And they need another t- a two-way central midfielder and they need another striker. A good, reliable striker. Like, and when I say to go and get one, I don't mean go sign someone that's you know been on a free transfer for a year and hasn't played. You know, you need to go and find someone who's match fit at a club. You know, And for once, it'd be nice to see him just sign someone else's best player, you know? Or somebody else's key player. Like get someone that can really genuinely improve your team. That's where they got to go, and with that comes investment, and that's going to be the litmus test for the for the new owners now. Because you know, obviously, the previous ownership, you know, they did bring some good players in, but it's not like they ever spent. I don't think they ever really spent close to within the means. So they just kind of spent it as what whatever they could whenever they needed to. And now you need to go out and actually buy some some proven quality. That's that's what they would need to do in this window. But with all the logistics of the market and such right now, I don't know if that's possible to do. So I think the striker is someone that we get if we lose DK. If -hmm. not, I think we roll the dice with DK going into playoffs. Um, For me, it is that central midfield spot. And it's that's a hard one for me because one, I would keep Mendez and drop Perea out of my starting double pivot. Um, so that kind of stunts, does that stunt the growth of Perea? That gives him less playing time for certain. 
but also we're looking at winning a title. And I'm not saying he's not going to play at all because he's obviously the backup to Maurizio Pereira to be in that kind of transition attacking mm-hmm. 10 role, um, even though he's not really a creative player in there. So, but But for me, that still kind of stops his playing time. So it's kind of a weird balance of, yeah, I want a better player in there, but also I don't want to stop Perea's game time because he is improving. So it's kind of that, that weird balance. And then for me, it would be very difficult um, if we were to get, you know, a starting caliber uh, midfielder, double pivot mm-hmm. midfielder, and then also ask to get a, a starting caliber center back as well. Um just to help with that back line depth because Juan injury prone, Jean Moutinho injury prone, Emmanuel Mas, he's 32 years old. He's probably going to pick up an injury if he plays every minute of every game. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like it's a tough ask because that means you have to move someone on and then you have to bring people in and, and like, there's a lot of work to be done just to get us to that next level to where we can say, okay, we are fighting for MLS Cup. And that that's a lot just to make the Mueller non-move in the whatever, in the mm-hmm. winter transfer window, worth it. No, definitely. And you've got to, you know, you know, I mean, I guess it's, like I said, it's just going to be the acid test here. Once they get their players back from the, the Gold Cup and whatever, then they'll see what they've got. But you know, there's teams out there in MLS right now that are investing four or five million dollars on a striker or on a midfielder. You know, you've got a couple of teams that have sold, you know, the emerging talent in the US. You know, Busio has gone to Italy, so has Tanner Tessman. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, this they could have sat there and said, oh, yeah, we think Busio's worth 15, 20 million and just waited for it. But I think they made a smart business move by recognising they got a good offer and now they can improve their team if they choose. And same with, you know, with Tessman and, and, and Dallas. I mean, I know they don't typically reinvest, but, you know, but they're getting good money for their players. It's like, well, if you're going to sell, are you going to keep a player there? You need to, if you're going to keep a player there, then you need to be in a position where you can keep ascending. Because if you're just going to be where you are and not any further, you might as well just take a big offer and just improve more areas of your team. So, I don't know, it's... It's, it's strange. I don't, I'm not quite sure what the, the front office is, is thinking, but you know, I think they're gambling a little bit if they think they've got enough to, to get over the finish line. Yeah, I, I think they're going for it. I think they're going for a win. We obviously have one of the better coaches in the league. We obviously have a pretty strong squad. Um, I would like to see some reinforcements, though, to, to help push us. You, you know, kind of like what Seattle did when they got Ladero. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. saying get Ladero or a Ladero-type player because he's obviously a 10 cost them a lot of money but i think spending big on a central midfield option double pivot central midfielder would not hurt our title chances one bit uh looking at the game that happened last night obviously uh one of the big talking points i want to go over is um the fluid front three but also i think benji michelle has really improved his overall game and I kind of wanted to ask you if you've noticed that and mm-hmm. and how you what what you think his ceiling is as a player. Like, what is his potential? 
Well, he needs to keep playing every week. That's the biggest step for him. I think he give him a consistent run of games now and let him show what he's got. That's the first step. But I liked the way the front three were lined up. Um, you had Nani and, and Mueller just kind of uh, switching kind of at will, really. And then Nani was dropping deep, playing in that false nine role. And then Benji was cutting in off the left. Which uh, is that? That's what you call in Germany. You call it the rounder. I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like a wide poacher. It's, it was a really good tactic. I thought that the way Philadelphia lined up, I thought that was a really good, um, a good pick by Oscar because he was taking a chance, kind of being outnumbered in midfield, four to three. But on the same token, he stopped their defenders from getting the ball and having it, having it their way, being able to spread it from full back you know, through the centre-backs and to the other side. It, with the front three, he stopped them being able to do that quite well and also gave them plenty to think about as far as man-marking and such. So I felt that it was a good game plan by Oscar and obviously worked. And Benji's composure, I mean, his first touch was a little bit a bit iffy, I think, when he was going for a wrong goal. You know, that's something that those technical attributes are the things that he, he needs to really still keep working on. But his finish was good. It was very calm. Yeah, I mean, hey, it still ended up in the back of the net. Still ended up <laughs> in the goal. He still got himself in the right position. But, you know, if you're going to pick, then you obviously would say, you know, a switched-on a switched defender would have probably had that ball off of him after that first touch. But I just don't think Philadelphia came down to Florida thinking they were going to play against Benjamin Michel cutting off the left. You know, and they mm-hmm. obviously caught them all off guard and got the goal. Yeah, for me, he's been he's been much improved. Um, he looks more of a complete player than even last season, where I, for the most part, from what we've seen from him, he just, last season, the season before, it's just been all goals, but not much else as a part of his game. Um, goals and then obviously working hard on defense, but now he he's much more of an overall player, much more comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, and obviously goals are still a part of his game. And, you know, there is that weird kind of, you know, goals are the most important thing in soccer, but then if you're not doing much else, then you're not contributing to to games as much. But if you're still a goal threat, then you're still a goal threat. So it's like, do I want him out on the field? Do I don't want him out on the field? It's weird. But mm-hmm. now that he's becoming a more complete player, he, I'm fine with him being out on the wings more than I was last season. That's the, I think that's what I'm trying to get at is more and more this season I'm seeing a more complete player there. He is growing as a player, and and I I am much more comfortable with him on the wings. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think a lot of people freak out when they see players in the wide positions and they think that, oh, well, he's out wide, so he must play as a winger, and that's not always the case. Um, he's showing a lot of versatility to his game. And the coach, to be fair, is showing you know, versatility in his tactics as well. You know, and employing players in these unusual roles. You know, so far, you know, it's worked for the majority of the time. Yeah, and then another thing I kind of wanted to touch on is, I think we dealt with Philadelphia's press pretty well, because I think they did attempt to press us. Do you think that is down to having? Our two sixes be Perea and Rossell, two touch, uh, com- who two ball comfortable players. Yeah, you can. And do you think that's why they were picked? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, it, it, the 
the decision to play the double pivot was certainly intended. I mean, that's you know, that's when you're playing against the diamond, you've already got a numerical disadvantage unless you match them. And the way the fullbacks push up, I mean, they're very dynamic in the way they you know they push forward. So, I mean, it was deliberate to play with the two sixes. It certainly helped with the selection they had. Like I said, you had two calm players in there, which I think was good. And what also was a big contribution was how well Michelle and Mueller tracked back and helped to cover some of the space. Uh, that was a key component in defending the press as well. And then getting free on the counter-attack and getting placed forward was, was the last uh, ingredient in the recipe, so to speak. Um, I don't think Philadelphia's press was anywhere near as clinical as New York's. And, you know, you also have to factor as well that, you know, that the game was delayed quite significantly as well mm-hmm. after travelling. So, I mean, that can have like an, an impact on, on players as well, whereas in, in Orlando they're kind of used to it. You know, but for a visiting team, that can be a little disruptive to your plans and your preparation as well. You know, kind of getting yourself ready to play and then having to wait and such. These are all little, you know, little psychological things that I think kind of played into it. But nonetheless, okay. you know, you have to play your conditions. I mean, Orlando will go up to Philadelphia, I'm sure, at some point in the future, and it'll be snowing and be blizzards, and they'll have to adapt to that. So that's just one of the nuances of MLS, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um... Let's go. Let's look ahead to to the game coming up before we go ahead head out of here. Uh, NYCFC on the road just a couple days after um, a tough game against Philadelphia. Uh, mm-hmm. How are you feeling for that one? I'm I'm not very confident. I'm not optimistic at all. That, that pitch is so small. Like, um, it's so small, and, I'm, and I always think, like, as someone watching the games, like, if I'm a player and I'm looking at and I'm like just trying to play like and looking at my peripheral vision and I'm thinking the pitch is a lot bigger than it actually is because the lines are just so close to you in relation to where the end of the turf goes mm-hmm. like I find I think it's really difficult to play like any kind of free-flowing game when you have to be so reactive and you can't even properly gauge your, your surroundings um I'm not expecting much I mean I think a draw in this game would actually just be a really good result you know, ordinarily, I would say you attack them and you try to win, but I think there's not much space. That pitch is tiny, and with the players we have, I don't think we've got quite enough just to you know, kind of ticky-tacker our way through through the game. You know, I'm not conceded. New York has a lot of quality, and I was really impressed with them when they came to Orlando early this season. You know, I didn't get to many games this year, but that was one of the ones I've gotten to. I think they look really, really good in possession. Uh, keeping the ball, manipulating space, they're going to be a really, really tough game. You know, I think so. If you get a you get a draw, a nil nil, a one one, I think you have to be really happy with that type of result. I'm pretty sure the coach would be. But. Yeah, I think we're going to head up there and and um, play for a poppy special. You know, go. I think go it's going to have to be. It's one of those games you just it's just going to have to to be really pragmatic and just just do what you got to do. Get out of there without losing at least. I think, yeah. and because it's not like it, you know they're going to be down quite a few players. They're not. There's no Mauricio. He's suspended. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're going to be looking at, you know, probably having to rest a couple of people. I don't think DK is back. Akindeli's not going to be back. So you've got, you know, you've got a few a few things there you've got to think about, and we don't know if Janssen's going to be okay. He's broken his nose. 
you know. Probably will be. He's a, he's a tough guy, but you just never know. So you've got you've got a lot of a lot of things to think about there. I think um, a draw would be a great result in this game of things. Yeah, and I mean, looking at the starting eleven, there's not much I think will change. It, what can you change? Yeah, injuries withstanding. I think maybe you know Smith and Moutinho are going to have to stay on the the fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably Carlos comes in for one of Janssen or Schlegel, yeah. and then it's probably Urso in for Rossell. Um, mm-hmm. And then, unless he's going to take out Nani and start Alvarado, I think we're going to see a similar front three. And then, I don't even know, I guess it'll be Rossell, Perea, and Urso as the midfield. Mm-hmm. Probably. So, Pretty much picks itself. And, and then maybe Vanderwater, but <laughs> just for, like, attacking threat. <laughs> but... I'm it's not sure good. this is a Van der Water game, to be honest. I mean, maybe as like the, fl- I think this would be a Van der Water game as a replacement for Nani, you know, possibly, kind of floating. But, yeah, possibly, but you know, like his his game is built around getting into space and stretching the field. There's no field to stretch. Yeah, it's tiny. I I'm convinced that it's smaller than a regulation field. <laughs> <laughs> you know. We've, and um, you know, I feel like this is a this is a game for calm heads and for players that are comfortable in tight spaces. And you know, again, I don't feel we have enough of those types. So they're gonna have to be really on top of it. If if New York go up with the two up front, then I won't be surprised at all to see us go over back three. Maybe they go three five two or something like that. But we'll, we'll yeah, that's true. We yeah, could do I mean, that. I've always felt if you're playing against two strikers, you should have back three. You should always go with three centre backs, and then push into midfield. You know, with a five or whatever. But that's yeah, you know, that's up to up to the coach. Obviously, we'll see. It, it would make sense having Carlos Janssen Schlegel. You know, if you get them all in the field for a game like this, I would do it. Yeah, we. Um, well, I think that just about covers it. Did we miss any big topics? We're not going to go over the. Uh, DeVos news because yeah. Daniel and I aren't really up to speed with all the information. We might wait for Chase and Adam for for that conversation. But yeah, I've got um, no. Um, I have no nuance when it comes to to the basketball side of it when they are under magic. Yeah, and I don't know much really. Yeah, I know a little bits and bobs I've heard, you know, read about and whatever else, but. It's not a topic that I feel like I can go into with any real objectivity at the moment. Just I don't know enough about it. Adam, I think, has got tons of thoughts, which I look forward to hearing about. Yeah, definitely. And then I guess one last thing. Looking ahead to the end of this season, just kind of thinking out loud here, we're losing Mueller. Mm-hmm. Nani's contract is ending, I believe. Pereira was on a one-year Deal, so we might be losing him. Is Russell's contract over? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Russell's is, I think Russell's is. I think he's a one Russell. year of an option. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we'll probably do that option. Maybe not. So Russell's is over. We have a big, big rebuild on our hands coming up. Just, just thinking out loud. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Now, because we we do know that the the front office likes to do stuff early, you know, loan with an option, 
bring somebody in for that time. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Are they going to look ahead to next year versus look to impact the team now? Hopefully it's impact the team now, but mm-hmm. just again, thinking out loud, very interesting thought process there of yeah, what's I mean, going to happen. Like I've always heard like that, you know, you need all this time. Alvarado needed all this time to learn the system and it's not something I tend to buy. Like you can't learn a system much if you're not playing games and no. and we don't have a B team. So if you're going to bring players in to learn the system for next year, then the infrastructure is just not there right now. It would make sense in my mind if if you were gonna if you were gonna sit down tonight and have a, a conversation about we're gonna make one good push now to try and win it this season. Then I look at my thirty players and I look at the six or seven that are not getting in, and I consolidate them into two or three players that are gonna make a difference. You know, and if one of them, you know, is a sale that you're going to generate X, X millions for, then it might be worth doing if you can get the right players in. But when you don't have a B team and you're carrying this, you know, three, 30 players, it's just, to me, it's just not productive, you know, um, because you've just using, you're using salary cap space, you're using, you know, roster spots, international spots on players that are just not going to influence the game. They could go out right now, and I could guarantee they could probably go out if they wanted to spend a bit of money. They could probably get three players in that would make a difference. And even if it means five or six going. And yeah, you might have a smaller squad, but when do you need all 30 players? You know, it's, only only for like two weeks. Yeah. So it's, like, it's just like, I see a lot of people, especially on the Twitter chat, like just... You know, they're so worried about having the big squad size, having the 30 spots filled, having the depth. But depth is only good if the depth can come in and actually contribute. And I don't see, I'm looking at our bench from last night's game, like, you know, there's not a single player there that you could say is a true impact player, you know. There's more, more, more like consolidation type players where you try to use them to hang on to what you've got. But there's not a true game changer there. You can argue Vanderwater is, but he's he's on and off. And other than that, who else is there? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, yeah, you lose one of your best guys. Who've you got? I mean, it would just make sense for me to run a smaller squad, maybe at 25 players, but just have a little bit more, you know, quality in those fewer numbers. But that's just my opinion. That's my that's me putting that out there as well. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah. So I, I like smaller squads. I don't I don't like 30, 30 player squads. Obviously put make the youngsters the last five, that's fine with me, but mm-hmm. like twenty five, twenty four players put, is all that's necessary. If you're gonna put five players on your squad that are not gonna play much, but you want them involved, then get five from the academy that are at least playing every yeah. week. Who who can learn the system while they're while they're learning. Because it might, you know, even going to practice every day, you're not learning any systems. You, you know, you're just learning. You, you're learning your technique and your various other things, but you need game time. You, you can't, you can't do it without game time. So it's. I know the club's going to address it, and they're going to have a team next year, which is a great thing. But you've got to have that bridge away from the young team, the younger players, to the senior. 
Philadelphia had it yesterday. They brought on, a, I can't remember who they brought on, but they brought somebody in the game who's from their academy. He looks ready. And then, as we talked about Seattle, they went to Austin and won with, with five teenage players yeah. back in their debut. And that's a position that ideally you want to be in. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting uh, couple of months coming up. Uh, hopefully, we're able to record a little bit more than we have been. Um, busy schedule notwithstanding. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully, we're uh, recording after another win. <laughs> fingers crossed, right? Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, my friend? No, I think that's all good for us. All right. Well, that was a good conversation. I really do really appreciate it. Hopefully, Chase and Adam can get back on the podcast soon. And Daniel, where can our listeners find you at? In the pub, as always. As always, you can but find I'm, me. I'm being at... good. I, I drink lemonade. I drink water now. Yeah. Okay, that's good. No whiskey. Not as much. Not as much. That's good. That's good. Well, you have your yourself a good rest of your night, my friend. You can find me at Lions Blog One. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good rest of your night. Chance!